It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Oh, 
We thank you, God, for victory in the name of Jesus. Thank you for victory in your blood, Lord, that you love us, that you loved us while we were still sinners, that you died for our sins while we were still sinners, that you did not turn us away, but you reached out to us with a long, stretched-out arm. Your arm is not too short that it cannot save, that your arm is stretched out to us to rebellious people all day long. Lord, today we won't to reach back. Today, we want to lift our hand. We want to raise our arms back to you and embrace you and hug you and love you back, Lord, for you loved us first. Thank you for choosing us, Lord, even though we have been rebellious, even though we have been sinful, even though we have been blind, by our own hearts, our own choosing. Even though we willingly turned away from you, but the wayward son is back. And I know, Lord, that you accept us back. I know, Lord, that you always accept your people back, that we are your children, your creation, your inheritance, your love, your family, your offspring your creation, Lord. Help us, God, from this day forward to walk for you and you only, Lord. Shine your light into our hearts. Shine your light into our minds that the darkness may flee. For the darkness will only flee in the presence of your light, Lord. And let us be lights under you. Lord, shine through us, God. Shine to the world in this dark and evil and wicked end-time generation. The time is near. The day of redemption is closer now than it was when we first believed. Let this be a new day for every one of us, Lord, whether we have served you 10, 20, 30, 50 years. Let this day be a renewal. Let this day be a new beginning. Let this day be the first day of the rest of my life. Let me, let me be more dedicated to you by the end of this service. Let me be more dedicated to you tomorrow. Let me be more dedicated to you tonight, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Let me never fall back ever again. The day is near. Lord God, the day is near. The Bible is being fulfilled. It is time now, God, that I surrender to you. I cannot resist any longer, God. I see the end coming. It is in front of my eyes. It is under my feet. It is behind my back. It is in front of me. It is everywhere I look and see. It is everywhere I hear. It is everywhere I smell. It is everywhere. It is in the air. It is in the sky. Lord, let me not be blind anymore. I ask you, Father God, to have your way, Lord. For I, a preacher, a minister, Apostle of the gospel, have sinned. And I confess my sins to you, Father, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and help me to lead this congregation, not as a hypocrite, but as a man of God. I ask you, Father God, to bless and anoint this servant and let only the truth come forth out of my mouth. And God, if I preach falsehood today and lies and deceptions of the devil, I ask you, God, to mute my language and mute my tongue and my mouth. Break my teeth, Lord, and let me not preach again until I repent in ashes 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Let him not lead your sheep astray. Let him not lead the congregation astray. Let him not lead the population astray, Lord. But let me be a light in the darkness, Lord, pointing to you, Father God, for you are the refuge, the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no hope and no peace without you, Lord. Help me to point to you always, Father God, not to myself, but only to you, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Help me to be humble. Help me to love. And help me to forgive. Lord, help me, Lord. In the name of Jesus, this service is yours, God, not mine. This house is yours, not mine. This ministry is yours, not mine. This broadcast is yours, not mine. These people are yours, not mine. I ask you, God, to have your way, Lord, in this service, and let the truth be manifested and accepted. I ask you, God, to touch the ears and the hearts, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, in every way, God. Help us to hear your word today, Lord. Help us, God, to accept only the truth. May Babylon flee. May sin flee. May resistance flee. May everything that is not pleasing with you flee. False doctrine, falsehood, and lies of the devil flee in the name of Jesus Christ. We cast out demons. We cast out sickness. We cast out affliction. We cast out every curse, every hex, every spell against us. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every false tongue of lying against against us be condemned. For all righteousness is in you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father God, have your way, Lord. Move in this congregation, this service today, to begin and to end. Let there be no hindrances of any kind of evil spirit. Let there be no hindrances of any kind. In the name of Jesus Christ, may the Holy Ghost prevail. In the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. So be. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. You may go to the restroom. You may get your water, coffee, whatever you need to do. Well, it's a good day. Good day, amen. Amen. Praise God. Sun's shining. We had snow here yesterday. Thankfully, it was not enough to stick. First snow of the season, but it did not stick. Praise God. Praise Jesus. We're able to come to service today. We welcome everybody listening over the internet too. Jocelyn Jenny in Texas is listening. Uh, Jennifer in Wisconsin is listening. Lisa will be listening after the broadcast, and uh, hopefully others throughout the week and in the coming months. We are recording live so that people who are members of our congregations in other states can be listening at the same time. We welcome them. We list and we welcome Jamie. Today in person, and uh, always Crystal and Brittany and Anthony. So, praise God. Today, for the record, 
for the broadcast record. It is December the 19th, 2015 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In God's created calendar, it is the eighth day of the tenth month. The reason I say that, eighth day of the tenth month, is because the popes back over a thousand years ago changed the calendars. When the month begins, when the year begins. And I think it's important in this end time to return back to the original calendar. It's the eighth day of the tenth month. And we're going to be starting the book of Daniel. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 1, and God willing, we'll read Daniel 1, 2, and most of chapter 3. You will find that in the services here of the Ecclesia of Theos Evangelism Center, I Saw the Life Ministries, that we read a lot of the Bible because we don't want to take one verse and take it out of context. And if you read a whole chapter, then you have less of a chance of taking it out of context. We need to read entire chapters, not take one verse and take it out of context. If we're going to understand what that verse really means, then we need to read the verses before it and the verses after it so that we can understand what is it talking about. We don't want to be led by our traditions, what we were taught as children or of our parents, what if our parents had been Muslim? What if our parents had been uh, Catholic or Muslim or Jehovah Witness or Mormon or Buddhist or Hindu or any of the other 2,000 denominations? Just because we was raised in something doesn't mean that our parents were God and that our parents understood everything. All humans are capable of error. We have all been wrong about something at some time, but the end is near and it's about time that we really study, really examine the scriptures, really examine the scriptures, that we may know the truth in Jesus' name. And the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians that we are to prove all things. It doesn't say to accept whatever, uh, to embrace everything, or just assume that our parents taught us correctly, but it says prove all things. And we need to do that because that's a commandment of the Bible. So we need to prove stuff, not just assume. So I want to say some things today that are going to be challenging, probably for every one of us. Uh, and so I just ask that you hear me out. Just bear with me. Let's get through all these scriptures. Let's pray. Let's fast. And I'm going to be calling for a fast. And we need to be fasting. Nobody ever fasts anymore. We need to be fasting. If there was ever a time in all of human history when we need to be fasting, it is now. Amen. We've got to surrender, full surrender to God. And that can be a challenge. Now, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm reading from New American, and it says, in the third year of the reign of uh, however you pronounce that, Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now, I need to start right there because there was a hurricane recently. I don't know, a month or two ago, three months ago, just recently. Uh, how would they pronounce that hurricane? Remember? Huh? Joe Quinn. And uh, it was, the Joe Quinn is like an English variant of this word right here of this king, of Judah. 
So, I mean, that's no coincidence. You know, I mean, we talk about the weather of the end time, a hurricane named after this king. Amazing. And he was the last king of Judah during the Babylonian, the Babylonian invasion came in. Just like Cleopatra was the last uh, queen of Egypt, this was the last king of Judah. All right, so in the third year of his reign, it says, of the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So that's why that king was the last king of Judah. Because the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, besieged Jerusalem. Verse 2, Daniel 1, verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shahar, uh, to the house of his God. People say that Shahar is in what now is known as Iran, somewhere in the nation of Iran now, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God, which is his false God, which are demons. Verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpizanaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family uh, uh, and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. That's verse 4. Again, let's read verse 4 again, because this is huge. This is major. And you don't hear this in every uh, street corner church. This is huge, verse 4. Youths in whom was no defect, uh, whom were good-looking. You know, that's what Hitler did, was anybody that had any defect if they ever had, if they had MS, MD, anything, he would kill those people that had any kind of defect. He was trying to keep only the people without defect. Here, Nebuchadnezzar was doing the same thing, trying to exalt only the people that had no defect upon them, that uh, were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature, meaning the books, the writings, and the language of the Chaldeans. Now, if you look in Smith's Bible Dictionary, which is very, very respected Bible Dictionary, even among every denomination. I've never really heard anybody put down the Smith's Bible Dictionary. And it says that Chaldean, the word Chaldean means moon worshiper. Because you cannot find any nation that actually ever existed called Chaldean or Chaldean, whatever, that it would come from. Now, some people talk about a nation of Chaldean, but that's out of their ignorance. That just because they assume that. In history, there is no nation of uh, Chaldean, but uh, the people were called Chaldeans. The people were not because their nation was called that. The, the people were called 
Chaldean because it means moon worshippers. You know what that is? It's Islam. It's Islam, the moon worshippers. Muhammad did not create Islam. In fact, history shows that, that Islam already existed. The people that think Muhammad created Islam are just thinking that. They're assuming that. History shows he did not create that religion. It already existed before he was born. He came along and, and said, okay, uh, whatever he called them at the time, whatever they were called at the time, they, he said to them, you're worshiping 2,000 plus gods. We need to worship only the Allah or the, the Yah. Actually, he said, uh, you need to worship only the Yah, Y-A. H. And the word V, it was spelled A-L. That's how you would say A-L-L. So V-R, A-L, and then Y-A-L. Let me write this on the board here. So he said, worship only the Yah. Again, as language, that ain't how you spell Yah. Then, as language changed and people evolved into English and so forth, the L Y became an L. Okay, so for people that cannot see that over the internet, you can write down on a piece of paper. What Muhammad said was A L dash Y A. H. Then as Langus changed it, A L dash L A H. Allah. Amen. In fact, Brittany, uh, in her maiden name of, of uh, Vitella, the L in Spanish or French? Spanish has a Y sound. So that shows you uh, that the Y and L are the same thing. Allah. Worship only Allah, he said. Now, this is important because you've got a lot, a lot of people, especially in Greenville, who are saying that we should worship Yah. History repeats itself. And then another version of Yah is Yahweh. Another version. Another version of that is Yahua. Another version of that is Y-H-W-H. Y-H-V-H. Yeshua. People have been told that Yeshua is his Hebrew name. If you look in Strong's Concordance, Yeshua was never written in the New Testament. When it says Jesus, 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 it doesn't say Yeshua. It didn't even say it in Greek. It didn't even say it in Hebrew in the New Testament. It said Jesus. So there's only one name. Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Only Jesus. 
it's important to know that the Jews was taught the literature and the language, verse 4, of the moon worshippers Islam. Amen. This is Bible and history. The Jews were taught the Muslim language. So when people tell you we can't say Jesus, you gotta say Yahshua, you gotta say Yahushua, you gotta say Yahweh, you gotta say Yah. You need to tell them, I refuse to speak Muslim. I refuse to speak your language. Now, Daniel had no choice because he was a slave. He was taken into captivity. Now, verse 5, it says, The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Praise God. Oh, welcome back, Prophet Larry. Praise God. Good to see you back on the Internet. Praise the Lord. Jesus. Now, before I go any further, anybody got any questions yet about anything I've already said? Okay. Now it says here in verse 6, Now among them from the sons of Judah, that is the Jews, were Daniel, uh, Hannah, Isaiah, Hanukkah, Mishath, and Azariah. Uh, then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah, Sabrach, and to Mishath, Mishath, I can't pronounce it, and to Zariah, Abedico. So we have... Uh, adopted their new names. So now Brittany can say these names real good. So when they sing these songs and they tell you these Bible stories, they say the three Hebrew children were named what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay. Now, are those their true names? No. That's not their birth names. That's not their Hebrew names. That is their Muslim names that they were given by Nebuchadnezzar. That is their Muslim names, the ones that we were taught by tradition. It says they changed their names. Why did it, they change their names? Because history shows and the Bible shows that Nebuchadnezzar and that Babylonian empire did not want the people to worship the true God. They wanted the people to worship the Muslim gods, the, the moon gods, Allah. And they outlawed the Hebrew language. They were taught a new language. Now history shows that the Mexicans do not speak their native tongue. What people, the Mexicans speak Spanish, right? 
that's they did not always speak Spanish. That's not there's not their real language. Because the nation of Spain, back whenever it was, came into Mexico, invaded Mexico, and taught them the language of their invaders, taught the Mexicans the Spanish language. And then over time they lost their native tongues and now they speak Spanish, the language of their captors. The same thing happened to the Jews. They outlawed the true Hebrew names, the true Hebrew name of God, which is J-E-H. So the H is silent. So you wouldn't actually pronounce the H. You would pronounce G. And then Jesus came in his Father's name, which is translated God with us. So that's God's name, the Father's name, is J-E. And S-U-S means with us. The angels said, name him Emmanuel and name him Jesus, the other verse says. They're not contradictory. They all mean the same thing. God with us, Jesus. Now, if he came in his Father's name and the angels themselves said it means God with us, then how can this be his name? 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 Because his name is not any of these. His name is Jesus. So his father's name had to be J.E. There's no other way. His name is not... Shua, nobody even claims that. So how can that be his name? All right. So verse 7 says they assign new names to them. Why did they assign new names? Because they outlawed the Hebrew language. And they outlawed the true name of God. Now verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Verse 10. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are are your own age? Then you would make me portrait my head to the king. That's what the servant said to Daniel. Verse 11, but Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Meshrath, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. He did not want to eat this halal meat, is what was occurring. He did not want to eat this halal meat that had been dedicated to Allah. So he's like, just give me the vegetables and water to drink. Verse 13. Then let our appearance to be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their appearance, after eating only the vegetables, seemed better than they 
and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. 17. As for these four youths, uh, Daniel and the three Hebrew children, which were not really children but young men, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Notice here it doesn't say God gave them the Syrian language. The previous verse said they were taught the Syrian language, but God gave them intelligence and wisdom. Now it says here in verse 17 that Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Amen. Verse 18, then at the end of the days, when the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them, all, not one, was found like Daniel, Hanukkah, Mishraph, and Azariah. So that, now these are, ain't that their true names? But they're all misspelled in English because that those last letter I A H on the two of them I A H uh, is a corruption that's still going back to the Islamic language because in Hebrew you don't have a name it just don't exist like that that's still a, a Islamic corruption uh, so you'd have to change the H to an S to get it back to original Hebrew. So they entered the king's personal service. Verse 20, As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyprus, the king, talking about the next kingdom that came in and invaded Babylon. Daniel continued until the next kingdom came. Now, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in the second year of the, of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the moon worshippers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Verse 4. Then the Chaldeans, that's the Muslims, spoke to the king in, it says here, Aramaic. Now, uh, in the King James, it says Syrian. Both is correct because uh, the Aramaic is another way of saying the Syrian language. They're both the same. There's no difference. Uh, so here, these moon worshippers, the Muslims, spoke to Nebuchadnezzar the king in the Syrian language, Aramaic, same thing. Now, history shows, and all your Bible commentaries and all of your references shows that up until this verse right here, it was written in Hebrew. That started in this verse, this was written in the Syrian language. 
So starting in that verse, the law came into effect. You cannot even write a Hebrew letter. It was outlawed. From that very moment in this verse, it was illegal to write a Hebrew letter. And it actually started being written in Syrian, the rest of the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel originally was the last book of the Bible. But have they changed the Bible over many years, here and there and here and there. But originally, Daniel was the last book of the Bible. And that's very significant and very important. It was meant to be the last book of the Old Testament until the Apocrypha came along, which was the Bible in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then the New Testament came. It's important because Daniel foretold Anarchy's Apocrypha. He didn't say his name, just like he didn't say the name of the next king and the next king, but he foretold, he gave the prophecies that Anarchy's Apocrypha, the king of Syria during the time of the Hanukkah and the Maccabees, he foretold that that king would come to be and he would defile the kingdom and break down the temple and everything like that. So that's very, very important that that was the last book of the Bible back originally until the Catholic Church changed it. So anyway, from this verse forward, verse 4, it was written in the Syrian tongue. And he says to the end of the Syrian tongue, the moon worshiper said to the king in the Syrian tongue, he says, O king, live forever and tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. And the king replied to the Chaldeans, The command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. Verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, courtier, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's whose dwelling place is not the mortal flesh. Twelve. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them, because all the wise men were supposed to be killed. Verse 14. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Archon, the captain, captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he said to Archon, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Archon informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time 
in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Pius in Hebrew, Meshkov, and Azariahus about the matter. 18. So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel. Amen. Praise God. In a night vision, meaning a dream. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Let the name of God, which had been outlawed under Nebuchadnezzar, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. Epochs is a word that means uh, time eras and how each time era would bring another kingdom. And he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness or in secret. And the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. How is it that it was written every word of Daniel's prayer? It is because Daniel had a scribe, an assistant, who would write, write down, his scribe, his assistant, his personal assistant, his servant, his slave, was right there beside him, heard Daniel praying, and wrote down the words of his prayer. Verse 24. Therefore Daniel went in to Arpen, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arpen hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. And the king said to Daniel, whose name, Babylonian, Islamic name, was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me, Nebuchadnezzar said, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, Neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, or diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. And this was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. But for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. In other words, Daniel was basically saying, this ain't my interpretation, this is what God has given me. 
Amen. This is not by my research, my knowledge, my understanding, my opinion, but what God has given me. So God, uh, Daniel gave God the glory for the interpretation. Verse 31. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. And that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. And the head of the statue was made of fine gold, and its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now I want you to notice something here. You've got a single statue of a man, head of gold, Got head of gold, breast and arms of silver, which is you can just say chest, same thing, arms, silver. Belly and thighs of bronze. Is that what it says, thighs? Yes. Bronze. Oh, that's about bronze, right? B-O-N-D, yep. Uh, and legs of iron. Legs, arms, feet of iron and clay. Okay, now we got those written down. Now, that's how it says it in verse 32 and 33. But then you've got the stone cut without hands become a great mountain that crushed that entire statue. I want you to notice that in verse 35, when that stone, that great mountain, that destroyed this statue, which is God's kingdom, that's what it says later, and we all know that, it's God's kingdom that destroys the statue. And we know that each part of the statue there's a different time period of time, different empires that existed at different times. That one 
was invaded, taken over by this one. This one was invaded, taken over by this one. They did not exist at the same time. Each one existed at a different time. So there's different time periods, different kingdoms, different governments on the earth until the end time, until God's kingdom subdues the earth again. So the mountain would come and destroy the mountain of God, the mountain of Jesus takes over to be the last kingdom to ever exist. But when God's kingdom comes and destroys his kingdom, is it only the feet that is standing? When God's kingdom comes, is it only the feet and not the legs, not the belly, not the chest, and not the hand? How can you have feet all by itself? It's not only the feet standing at the end time, right? The whole statue is still standing. And when God's kingdom comes, when Jesus comes. And it says that when Jesus comes, when that mountain comes out of the sky, the kingdom of God, verse 35 says, then the iron, starting at the bottom, the iron and the clay, when Jesus comes, it starts at the bottom. It strikes the feet, not the head. The iron, the clay, the bronze and the silver, and it goes up, and the gold, it goes all the way up the list, was destroyed. You know what that means? Is that even though each part of this statue occurred at different times, when it comes to our time of the feet with a mixture of different things, it's going to be this whole body still standing in the end. You know why? Because before the head of gold existed, even though it doesn't say it right here in this verse, that was another empire, which we know existed. The Bible does talk about it. That's called the Assyrian Empire. Now, when the head of gold became Babylon, like it says, that was Nebuchadnezzar, king. I'm writing backwards what they did. They wrote king. Now they wrote from right to left. But King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, uh, invaded, <laughs> took over the Assyrian Empire. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, when he took over the Assyrian Empire, he called himself the king of Assyria. Okay? And he became known as, in fact, he had Assyrian blood. He was actually a Assyrian king, okay? And um, let's see. Then, when Babylon was taken over by this next one, this next one was uh, Media Persia. Media Persia Empire. Now, Persia is still the name of Iran. Iran does not call themselves, or actually, well, they still call themselves Persia, but the historical name of Iran for thousands and thousands of years has always been Persia, and they still call themselves Persia. So Iran invaded Babylon. 
or the kingdom of Iran. They were already in Iran, but these Iranian uh, people came in and invaded Babylon. And those are the people that still run it to this day in Iran. Okay? Then the next part of the Babylonians that barely in the size of silver is the Greek Empire. That's Alexander, who they call the Great. So the belly and thighs of bronze is the Greek Empire. Alexander the Great. Now, let's see. When Alexander died, he had four generals. The Bible talks about those four generals. Those are the four horns. And then... Those four generals took over four regions of Alexander's old empire, Greek empire, Hellenistic empire. And one of those four regions, four generals, uh, was over the Syrian region. And the president of that Syrian region, region eventually was Anarchites. Who Daniel had foretold. Daniel foretold every bit of it, so God did through Daniel. All right, let's review what we got. The head of gold is Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. The chest and arms of silver is the Medo Persia Empire, which is Iran. Then they were invaded by the belly and thighs of bronze, who is the Greek Empire, led by Alexander the Great, who had four generals, who was over four regions. And when Alexander died, these four generals took over four regions. One of them was the Syrian region, who was eventually ruled by Anarchites of Pricates, who was the king of Syria, king of Syria during the time of Hanukkah and the Maccabees. He was the one that committed the abomination of desolation during the time of the Maccabees. Then, eventually, the legs of iron. You got two legs of iron. That is the Roman Empire. But what people don't tell you is you've got the western leg, the left leg uh, is the western. Roman Empire, and then the other leg is the Eastern Roman Empire. Now, the Western Roman Empire was ruled by the Vatican in Rome, but the Eastern Roman Empire was ruled in Constantine, Turkey, which is now known as Estabu, Turkey. And here is where Muhammad and all the Muslims uh, came from. So you've got the Pope and the Vatican is one leg of arm, and the Eastern Roman Empire, also known as the Ber, the Zinian, Vatican, 
Empire, Eastern Roman Empire, also known as the Byzantine Empire, ruled from Esther, Constantine, Turkey, which was renamed Esther, Turkey, and that's your Muslims. So your arm, legs of arm, is one leg is the Roman Catholic Church, and the other leg is Islam. Now, what happened here was the Assyrian Empire had their religion and their language. Their language was Aramaic, also known as Syrian. Assyrian, because it was the Assyrian Empire. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar came along, he was taught the Assyrian language, and he, the Bible says, taught the Jews the Syrian language. Now, not only were they taught the Syrian language, they was taught the literature as well, all the books, all the wise books, the math, the science, everything, including the calendar. They were taught the calendar, that the day starts from Sabbath, I mean, the day starts sunset to sunset and all that. They were taught all that, came from Assyria, their religion, their language, their customs, their calendar, everything about life came from Assyria. All of that was adopted by Babylon. Babylon adopted everything the Assyrian Empire had about their religion and their way of life and their language. Then came the Persians, the Iranians. The Iranians also took on this language and their language and their calendar and their holidays and their customs and their traditions. Now, it changed a little bit with each empire, but they did maintain the common thread. Now, then the Greek empire came on, Alexander the Great. Now, that was a different language. This was a change of language because the Greeks had adopted the Hebrew language. History shows that the Greek people adopted an older language which were called Hebrew, and they changed the name of it to Greek. So Greek is just a new name for Hebrew, but it's the same language. So this was a change of language where they started speaking Hebrew, but they called it Greek. History shows that. Then after the Greek Empire, you had the Roman Empire, Western and Eastern Roman Empire. They maintained Greek but they changed it a little bit and started calling it Latin. But Latin comes from Greek, or actually Hebrew and Greek. All right, now, these ladies are armed. All down. Now, notice, when you have a body, you've got the head, you've got the chest, you've got belly and thighs, and then you've got legs. Now, of course, your legs are going to be the longest part of your body. Amen. Because the legs, you can see I can't draw or anything. Now, the legs are your longest part of your body, meaning that these two empires, the Roman Catholic Church Empire and the Muslim Empire, is going to exist longer than any other empire. And they are divided, but they walk together in agreement. Then you have your feet at the end time. Your feet is a mixture of iron and clay. Okay. The 
then you got your mouth and comes down. The whole statue is still standing in the end time when the mountain comes down. So in the end time, my point is the Babylonian Babylonian Empire still exists. The Iranian Empire still exists. The Greeks still exist. The Catholic Church still exists. The Muslims still exist. All of this still exists. Amen. At the end time. We know that's true. Now, let's go back to the scriptures. Then uh, God comes and destroys all of it. Now, verse 36. Verse 36. This was the dream. Thank you for your patience, everyone. Verse 36. This was the dream. Now we would tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of goat. So the head of goat is Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 39. After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Verse 40. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as such, strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and scatters, shatters all things, so that like iron, that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, which is our day and time, the feet and toes, Partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. And it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. Verse 42. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, of course, you got ten toes. Now, the book of Revelation talks about ten horns of the beast. So those ten toes are the same thing as the ten horns of the beast. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in in that, you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men. What does that mean, the seed of men? talking about the offspring of men, talking about DNA, talking about humankind, that you've got something that is not human mixing with human. That's what you've got, something that is not human mixing with the seed of men. But they will not adhor, adhere to one another, even as iron is not combined with pottery. Okay. Doesn't the Bible say that God is the potter and we are the pottery? So the clay, the pottery, is human beings. So in the end time, these ten toes of the feet, part of iron, part of clay, is saying that the ten rulers, the ten kings, the ten horns of the end time, some of them will be human or half human, and some of these ten horns, 
some of these Chan kings of the end time of the end time empire under the so-called Antichrist will be half human and half something else. In other words, a Nephilim, a fallen angel, half fallen angel and half human. So in the end time, we are dealing not with just flesh and blood. The Bible says you're, you're, you war not against flesh and blood, but against principality. Amen. Rulers of darkness. We're at war with spiritual forces in these end times. Not all these leaders, these presidents, not all of them are fully human. Some of them are Nephilim, half-fallen angel, half-human. The iron comes from the technology, the computers, the TVs, Hollywood, cell phones, laptops, computers. These things are evil. I know we run electricity. I know I, I listen to the radio sometimes. I know I use the laptop and the Internet for the kingdom, for the gospel, the kingdom of God. We're broadcasting over the Internet. We're using electricity. But all these things are evil. TV is evil. TV is of the devil. Electricity is of the devil. Uh, I'm with the old timers. I'm with the Amish. All this is of the devil. But God can use the devil things. God can use wicked things. God can speak through a donkey. God can use King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a wicked man, but God used Nebuchadnezzar. God brought every one of these wicked kingdoms into power. Babylon was a wicked kingdom. Persia, the Iranian Empire, was a wicked kingdom. Alexander was a wicked king. And Alcatraz was a wicked king. Every one of these were wicked, 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 wicked empires. Wicked kings. And Anarchies was not fully human. Alexander the Great was not fully human. If you have one man and the feet is not fully human, do you think the rest of them are fully human? Amen? If the feet is not fully human, the toes are not fully human, then ain't the same thing true with the head? Amen. In fact, the head rules the rest of the body. So how could the head have been fully human? No way. All these were wicked, half-human men, rulers of these. But God used them. God brought all this to back, to charge. God is in charge. God brought all these into being. Amen. And God made it. God will destroy it. Amen. But God uses them. God uses them. None of, the, none of these empires came to power by their own strength and their own might and their own power. They all came to power because God was working out his plan. Amen. Now, in verse 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, talking about the stone, the mountain that comes down to crush the feet, destroys these uh, high bird creatures. Verse 44, in the days of those kings, in what kings? Aha! Uh -huh. Verse 44, in the days of those kings, talking about the ten toes, the last kingdom on earth when he comes back. In the days of those kings, those ten kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. 
all these kingdoms still exist when Jesus comes back. But it will, God's kingdom itself will endure forever, 45. And as much as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, it crushed the bronze, it crushed the clay, it crushed all these, the silver and the gold, all these still exist in the end time. The great king has made known to the king what will take place in the future, so that the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, which is what we ought to be doing more and more. And all, you know, if this wicked king recognized the power of God and the reverence of God so much that when he, when he heard the interpretation and he knew it was real and he knew it was a miracle, he knew it was from the true God on high, he fell on his face. He fell right there. Right then and there. He wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't, and he was a king. He was a king of a great empire. He was in charge. He could kill anybody to say the word. They'd be killed. He had all the money and gold and silver. But you know what? He fell on his face at the miracle of God. Amen. Praise God. He fell on his face and did homage to this prophet of God, to Daniel, and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. And the king answered Daniel, and said, surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. And people today say, we can't know. We can't understand. It's not meant for us to know. They need to read this verse. Amen? God reveals mysteries. It is meant for us to know. And since you have been able to reveal this mystery, verse 48, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and chief perfect, meaning ruler, over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made requests of the king, and he appointed these Muslim names, these three, these three Jewish boys, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the administration of the province of Babylon, while Daniel was at the king's court. So these three men were lifted up, exalted to be rulers with Daniel in the Babylonian Empire. Then chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. Even though, even though he had saw the miracle of God, that somebody was able to tell him his dream and his interpretation, he was, you know, not fully committed, even though he saw this miracle, he was still wicked. And he made this image of gold. And the height of it was 60 cubits. And its width was 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of uh, Dura in the province of Babylon. Verse 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the Sebrachs, meaning lieutenants, uh, people uh, in charge and perfect people in charge, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the judges, and the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces, to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the separates, the prefects, all these different rulers, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, the judges, and the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image, 
that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So they submitted to this idolatry. Then the herd loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the targon, the song tree, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the songry, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language. Now, the Hebrew language was outlawed in Babylon, but what you had was people of different nations and different languages that had not yet all been, what's that word, assimilated, had not been assimilated yet. They all came. They were all commanded to come, to come and worship this idol. And they all went along with one another and with the command. And that's the way people do today. Just go along without question, follow the crowd and the command of the, the wicked rulers. Now it says here, they fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. There's a contrast that Nebuchadnezzar had fell down to worship the true God, and now he is leading everybody astray and having men to fall down and worship false gods and statues, a statue of gold, a graven image, which we know is against the commandments. And this was written, like I said, this is the last book of, of the Old Testament. This was written after Exodus, after the Ten Commandments. Uh, surely these people knew the Ten Commandments. Uh, even though they were from different nations and Gentiles, they knew the, the law of God. It had been declared across the earth. And they were worshiping that golden image. And people today worship gold and silver and money and cars and careers and everything else. Idols and false gods. Verse, now, would you, I'm going to ask you a question, but I'd like for you to keep your answer to yourself. So this is something for you to think about. If this happened today, and Obama or Hillary Clinton, the next president or some great king or somebody comes in and invades the nation, some great ruler that they would call great, and they made a great statue of the image of gold, and they commanded the people to fall down and worship the statue. Would you do it? You say no. We all say no. Everybody says no. Even, even the most wicked, most lost person out there in the street, they would say no. But aren't people doing this every day? Aren't those same people who go out here and ask a hundred people at random on the streets, show them this verse and say, would you do the same thing? I guarantee you at least 99% of them would say, no, I would not do this. But aren't they guilty of doing it already with their houses, their gold, their money, their silver, the things they have, the cars, 
don't, are they already guilty? Amen. Verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans, Muslims, came forward and brought charges against the Jews. And they responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the pargon, the song tree, and bagpipe, or all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship should be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Sabrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Sabrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are the words that came out of his mouth, these Muslim names, that you do not serve my gods, the many different gods that the Muslims had, the many different gods that the Assyrians had, that the Babylonians had, or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, at the moment that you hear the sound of the horn, he gave them another chance. He basically said, I'm going to play the music again. And if you will go along and worship this music and worship the image at the sound of the music, then I will spare you. Basically what he said, verse 15. Now, if you are ready at the moment that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the pagan, the sauntry, and the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made you, then very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? Sabrach, Meshach, and Abrikiko replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Last bold. Whoa! <laughs> wow! We don't have to answer to you. Wow! We need people that bold in this day and time. Amen. We need to be that bold. Amen. Verse 17. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not, we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They put their foot down. Even to the point of death, we are not going to do this. Amen. And this same type of situation is already being repeated all across the world. If Will you convert to Islam? Will you worship our gods? Will you worship Allah? Will you worship the king of Assyria? They may not have an actual golden image set up in our day and time, but they're still saying this. 
Will you worship our gods? We'll give you another chance. Say it right now that you deny the name of Jesus and you will worship our gods. Then we will spare you. But if not, we will behead you. That's going on now all across the world. And it will increase and multiply big time. So this is very significant to the end time. Something that was written as the last book of the Old Testament pointing to our day and time. This same empire still exists. These same false gods, the worship of them, still exist. There are people facing this same situation and will face this situation. And notice that these people said, God is able able to deliver us, but did he? He did, but he didn't take them out of it. He didn't lift them up into the sky and just up into heaven to where they didn't have to endure this. They had to endure this test. They had to face this trial. They had to face this head on, face to face. Doesn't the scriptures tell us that they will lift us up to the king, that they would take us to the king? And that we are not to worry about what we're going to say, but once we get there, that he would give us the words to say. Amen. It tells us, and when Jesus says that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's talking about not only those 12 disciples, but us in the end time. In fact, the context of that verse in the New Testament is talking about really the end times, that they will lift you up and take you to the magistrates and the kings. That brother will betray brother. That's going to happen in our time. That's talking about our time. God did not take them out of this situation, but saw them through this situation. And the same is going to be true in our time. There is no such thing as a pre-tribulation rapture. We've been taught pre-tribulation rapture. My own parents, my own grandparents, who I greatly love and greatly honor my my grandmother, greatly honor her, but she's not Jesus. And she was not an apostle of God. And she was not a prophet of God. I have to determine the truth from the scriptures, not from my parents, not from my grandparents, no matter how much I love them, not even from pastors I had great admiration for in the past and still love and have some admiration for. I have to determine the truth from the Scripture. And in this case, and in every case, God saw them through the storm, didn't take them out. They said God is able to take us out, but even if he don't, even if he don't, I am not going to bow to your false worship. We need to have that same attitude today that even if we have to go through the storm, I will still not bow to the Antichrist, to the son of perdition, to the false worship, to the lies of Babylon and to the gods of Babylon and your customs and your language and your traditions and your calendar and all this filth that's handed down throughout time generation, your parents and your parents and your great-parents and your great-grandparents, just because they did it don't mean I have to do it. Prove all things. Stand to that which is good. Amen.
Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. Amen. And his facial expression was altered towards Sabrak, Meshach, and Abegago. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain uh, valiant warriors, brave, manly warriors, who were in his army to tie up cars, 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 cars. They were not brave. They were cars. You have to tie these men up. You got a whole army and you got to tie these three innocent young men up. Cars. Muslims, that's the way Muslims do, typical Muslims. They tied up these three young men in order to cast them into the furnace of the blazing fire. Verse 21, then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew killed those men who carried up Sebrak, Meshprak, and Abregago. These men who were carrying these men. The, the, there's a, that's a miracle you don't ever hear. Talk. But even before they saw the fourth man in the fire, even before that, even before the door was shut, the men throwing them in were killed. And the three is still alive. They were spared twice. Even when the door was open, these men stayed alive while the ones holding them and throwing them in were killed. That's a miracle you don't even hear preached, but it's right here in the Bible. Amen. Verse 23, But these three men, Sabrat, Meshach, and Abegrico, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. See, they were not really truly cast because the men that was going to cast them died. But because they were so close when these men died, you can see these bodies of men kind of falling into them, and these three young men fell. They were not cast. They fell into the midst of the furnace because all these bodies are coming up against them like dominoes. Verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and, and uh, stood up in haste. And he said to his high officials, once they're in there, was it not three men that we cast into the midst of the fire? That's what he said. And they replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, oh, wow, Jennifer, Jennifer's little boy was sleeping. I don't know if this was yesterday or the day before. He's laying there sleeping, and he gets, he, he lifts himself up, and he looks to the window and points and says, look, and then went back to sleep. He just points to the window and says, look. So it says, look. I see four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. That's talking about Jesus. In the Greek Satudian, it says the son of God. This, where it has an S on there, should not be there. The S don't belong on that 
God. If you look at the original language of how this was written, it says, he looked like the Son of God. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of the blazing fire, and he responded and said, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. So again, he acknowledges the true God for a second time. Again, he sees a miracle. Do we have to see a miracle to believe in the true God and to fall on your face and to surrender to the true God? But Nebuchadnezzar, the only time he really served God is only when he saw the miracles. We need to be able to serve God even in the valley, even in the dry times, even when we think that we're not hearing from God, even when we don't think God is moving. We need to serve God 24-7. We need to not forget God. But Nebuchadnezzar was one of those people that only surrendered and only believed only when he saw these major miracles. Amen. And it says, You servants of the Most High God come here. Then Sebrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. And then the Sebrachs and the prophets, the governors and the king's high officials, gathered around and saw, saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. They didn't even smell like smoke. Amen. Praise God Almighty. In the name of Jesus Christ. My point, I got many points, but my main point on that one, of everything we just read, is are we going to bow to the golden image? Let's turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus 32. Over there, the second book of the Bible, Exodus 32. And I also welcome Edson uh, to listening to the broadcast, also from Texas. Uh, please excuse me if I might be saying your own, Edson. Uh, welcome to the broadcast as well. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. This is talking about the golden calf. Moses had been up on a mountain 40 days, and the people started getting uh, thinking that he wasn't going to come down, that maybe he might be dead. They didn't have faith in God. They didn't have faith that God had preserved his prophet and his apostle. So they're like, well, we need a leader and we need a God that we can see, that we can touch. We need a God that we can see and we can touch. That's the way a lot of people are today. Exodus 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will come go before us as 
For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in your ears of your, of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool, so this could be a graven image, and made it into a golden calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Wow. Very, very blasphemous. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And when he said, Lord, you notice how that's in all capital letters? What that means is that in the original scriptures, it had the name of God. The actual name of God, J-E-H, and the H is silent. So it's G as in Jesus. It had J-E-H here at one time. It's going to be a feast to the true God. Even though they had that false God there, even though they knew it was not the true God, they still said, we're going to have a holiday tomorrow. We're going to have a festival tomorrow. We're going to have a feast tomorrow. We're going to have a celebration tomorrow. And it's going to be to the true God. That's what they said. It's going to be a feast to G, J-E-H. So the next day they rose early, talking about in the morning. And they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. You know what that means? That even the children had a merry time. And they had offerings of food and drink, bread and water and wine. And they had a good time, and it started in the morning. Which shows you right there that the day did not go from sunset to sunset like the Jews proclaimed, or else they would have started it at sunset. They started their festivals, their holidays, in the morning at sunrise. And that's why to this very day, that people through tradition and custom to this very day get up early in the morning and open up their presents and start their festivities and the children open up all their gifts and begin to play. It's the same thing. It happened in all these other kingdoms. Today, we are in the toes and the feet, and these toes and feet stink. Amen. These toes and feet stink. We have this custom today because it came from the Roman Catholic Church of the Ladies of Arn, the mixture of Islam and the Catholic Church, which has always been mixed together. Pope Francis, Pope Benedict, Pope John, all those men, fallen angels, demons, all of those demons brought about this Christmas festivity to the Baptist Church, the Pentecostal Church. These are the daughter churches of these. Look up the history of these churches. How did the Baptist Church start? How did the Pentecostal Church start? How did the Church of God start? It's written. It's documented. Look it up. Go to the library and do the research. That they came from 
Methodists, and they came from Presbyterian and Westland, and they came from the Catholic, from Lutheran, and then the Lutheran came from the Catholic Church. And everybody lifts up like a god, Martin Luther. And they say he was such a great man because he translated the Bible out of Latin into the German language. <laughs> such a great man. But they forget their history. That he also commanded the slaughter of millions of Jews. And the Jews were persecuted, hated, despised, and burned on the, at the stake only because that there was, they were the bloodline of the Jews. He was another Hitler, Martin was. He commanded for the Jews to be burned at the stake. He was a very, 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 very wicked man, extremely wicked man, and the Jews fled all across the world. He was another Antiochus of Christians. The Jews fled the land and came to America. And my family, the Zimmermans, fled to America and changed their name to Carpenter because they didn't want people to know they were Jews. They were still afraid of the persecution. And a lot of people from Eastern Tennessee came from that. Our descendants, our forefathers, fled Martin Luther. Very wicked man. And they say he came out of the Vatican. They say he came out of the Catholic Church which is a lie, because all he did was say, Catholic Church, Pope, I disagree with you. You're selling salvation. You're giving pieces of paper for a certain amount of money saying you're saved if you give us that amount of money. And he disagreed with that. So he nailed that piece of paper up there on the wall of the Catholic Church, of the Vatican, of the Catholic Church, I mean, saying I disagree with that. But he did not forsake the Catholic Church even though he began to be at war against the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church sent men after him. But he still held on to everything that the Catholic Church taught other than just a little bit here and a little bit there. He is still Catholic in his mind and in his heart. He still was Catholic, just like these people, the churches today, they're still Catholic because they still hold on to the language, the calendar, the customs and traditions of the Pope. Even when I said today is December the 19th, that is a Catholic Pope. Look it up. We're under the Pope Gregory calendar. We're still under the Roman Empire. The arms still exist in the toes. The Roman Empire still exists. We've got the Roman numerals, the Roman Catholic calendar. The Pope still exists. The Roman em- We don't have to look for a revived Roman Empire. It's still here. It never went away. We don't need a revived Roman Empire. People think the Antichrist is that there's going to be a new Roman Empire. We don't need a new Roman Empire. It never went away. It's still here. The iron is still in the toes in the end time. We have the combination of uh, demons and Muslims, same thing. So, the Iranian, the Muslims, same thing. Nothing has changed. We still got every bit of this. All of this is still here. The whole statue is still here. And when we keep Christmas, we're obeying King Nebuchadnezzar, worship my gods. We're obeying the Iranians, worship my gods. Did you know that the Muslim president of Syria keeps Christmas? And every Christmas, he stands just like the Pope does, with a crowd of people, and gives his blessings and his Christmas message. The king of Syria, the king of Syria, a Muslim just like the Pope every Christmas. 
stands with a mass of people and gives his Christmas blessing, his Christmas speech. We are still worshiping, if we do Christmas, are still worshiping the golden image. In this verse here, they had a false god. And they said, tomorrow we're going to have a feast to the true God. Just because you say it's a feast to the true God doesn't make it a feast to the true God. And people give their offerings of milk and cookies to Satan Claus, known as Nick, who is another name for the devil. Christmas does not honor Jesus Christ. Christmas is an abomination to Jesus. Abomination. Jesus hates Christmas of a passion. How can I know that? How do I know that? Because Jesus lives in me. I have the mind of Christ. And how can I say that it's innocent, it's harmless play? These people had that attitude. These people in this verse had an attitude, this is harmless play. We're worshiping the true God, they said. Tomorrow is a feast to the true Lord. They even used his real name in this. That is an abomination. But people say, but we're under grace, we're not under the law. What's that got to do with it? This grace, liberty to sin, Paul said in Romans 6 verse 1, is grace. How did he say that? Look at Romans 6 verse 1. Romans 6, verse 1. If we're living in the end times, like everybody says, then we can't be compromising. We can't just say we're worshiping God. We can't just add his real name to it. We can't just say it's for him. And we can't just grace it away, license it away, mercy it away, new covenant it away. If it's a sin, it's a sin. Romans 6, verse 1. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How should we, who died to sin, still live in it? Grace it's not a reason to sin. So we can't use that excuse. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Grace is not license to sin. And sin is abomination. Sin is abomination. Christmas is sin. Christmas is abomination. Look at Exodus 20. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. People will fight for the Ten Commandments. They will petition. They will sign a petition. They will say, it needs to be on the courthouse wall. It needs to be in the schools. We need to allow a prayer in the schools. We need to allow the Ten Commandments to be on all the walls. But they don't want to keep it. They're fighting in vain. All that petition, all that petition, sign the petition, keep the Ten Commandments, is all in vain and no good if you're not willing to keep the Ten Commandments. And people say, but we're not under the law. That denomination called Church of Christ, they believe even the Ten Commandments were done away with. They believe even the Ten Commandments was done away with. 
but they don't understand that the Ten Commandments existed from the beginning. It was always a sin to murder, even before Moses was born. Even before the Old Covenant was established, it was always a sin to murder. It was always a sin to commit adultery. It was always a sin to steal. The Ten Commandments existed before. How do I know that? Because the Bible says Abraham kept the commandments of God. So Abraham lived uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Moses was born. And the Bible says he kept the commandments. Now in Exodus 20, verse 1, then God spoke all these words. Who spoke this? Moses? No. God spoke the Ten Commandments. These are the words of God. If the Old Testament had red letters, these would be, the Ten Commandments would be in red letters. God spoke all these words saying, verse 2, I am the J-E-H, originally it said, I am the J-E-H, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, didn't we just read in chapter 32 that they made that golden calf and they said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Wow. So they were breaking the first commandment that which I have no other God before me. I am your J-E-H, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you shall have no other gods before me. All these Assyrian gods, Persian, Muslims, Allah, Buddha, all this other, you shall not have them. The first commandment out of all things is to serve only the one almighty God. First commandment. Praise God. Now look at verse 4. You should not make for yourself an idol. Ain't that what people do when they put up a Christmas tree? A Christmas tree is the golden calf. It is our golden calf. You should not make yourself an idol. You say, that's not a golden calf. What are you doing putting a tree there and putting gifts to it underneath it? You, unless you throw it under the tree, I'm sure you're getting down there and cutting gifts under it. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. Blast me. Blast me. And you're offering it to it. And you're offering your children to that false god and telling your children lies. You should not make yourself an idol or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water underneath. That means we should not have graven images, statues and stuffed animals of fish and whatnots of angels. These whatnots of angels, it says here, don't make any likeness of anything in heaven. Are angels in heaven? Statues of Jesus. Jesus on a cross. It says, ain't Jesus in heaven? Ain't God sitting on a throne in heaven? Do not make any likeness. How easy is that? How can, how can we don't understand? How can we don't believe it? How can we don't obey it? They say, but it's a cross, it's Jesus. That is not Jesus. And how dare we make Jesus a six-inch man, a six-inch golden statue, six cubits high, 60 cubits or six inches. How dare we do that? How dare we put him on our wall and hang it and he's not on that cross no more. Jesus is not on the cross. He died and rose again, went and sent it back into heaven. How dare we minimize our Lord and our Savior? 
and put him back on the cross and crucify him again like Hebrews says that we shouldn't do. Hebrews says we shouldn't crucify him again over and over. It's done. The work is finished. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. How dare we hang him on our wall? How dare you hang our Lord and Savior, Jesus? That that's not our Lord. That's a graven image. That's breaking the Ten Commandments. They will fight to hang the Ten Commandments on the wall and then put up a graven image on the wall. They are hypocrites worse than Nebuchadnezzar. Let us not be hypocrites. Let us not put a graven image of a tree. Turn to Jeremiah 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. Praise Jesus. That's right before Daniel. Jeremiah 10. If I can get through three months without busting a hole in this wall, it'd be a miracle. (laughs) We might have to reinforce this wall. Jeremiah 10. Starting in verse one. <clears throat> the book of Jeremiah, which actually Jeremiah is a corruption of his name. If you look at the Greek Saturnian, you look at the Greek Orthodox Bible as well as the Greek Tertullian that Jesus used. Is, uh, even if you look at the New Testament in King James, it says Jeremy and it says Jer- uh, Jeremiah's. Jeremiah's in Jeremy. It shouldn't say Jeremiah, because Jeremiah, Jeremiah, is an uh, aromatic Syrian corruption of his name. We should say, uh, just take the H off, add an S, or just say Jeremy. Jesus himself did not say Jeremiah, but he said Jeremiah. He said Jeremy or Jeremiah's. He said Jeremiah's. If you look at Strong's Concordance, it said Jesus said Jeremiah's. And that's not an H on that. All right, now chapter ten, verse one. Hear the word which God, J E H. It said originally J E H speaks to you, O house of Israel. Again, this is not Moses. And this is not even Jeremiah. This is God speaking. Thus said the J-E-H originally, do not learn the way of the nations and do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified of them. What is it talking about the signs of heavens? Stars, moon, planets. That's why it's talking about the signs of the horoscopes. Do not be terrified by the horoscopes. Do not be terrified by the constellations. Don't be terrified by the sun, the moon, and the stars. Although the nations, the Gentile nations, are terrified by them. It says, for the customs of the people are delusion, or King James says, are in vain. The customs of the people are vanity, are in vain, they're a delusion. Because this custom, it says, is a wood cut 
from the forest. King James has a tree. Is a tree cut out of the forest. And the work of the hands of a craftsman or the workman will be cut in full. And they decorate it with silver and with gold, and they fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will totter. King James said, so that it fall not. So what is this? Imagine a man goes into the woods, and this is what it says, cut from the forest. He goes in the forest. He cuts the tree down. He brings it inside. He decorates it with gold and silver. He fastens the bottom of it so that it won't fall down, so it won't fall down, won't totter. What other tree, what other tree is there that people cut down if you, other than a plastic artificial Christmas tree? And a lot of people do go to these tree lots and get real trees. Somebody had to go in the forest and cut them. Then you take it and fasten it on a tree stand so it won't fall down. Then you decorate it with gold or silver, uh, what they call those? Icicles. Yeah, icicles. Uh, they decorate it. Now, I'm guilty I did that as a child because it was tradition. My parents taught me those things. But you know what? When I read the truth in the Bible, and I read this, it didn't take me six months or a year to accept it. I read this one time, and I'm like, I will not do that. One time. That's, I mean, that, that's all it should take. If you read the Word of God, and a, these would be in red if this was a red letter Old Testament, which they don't even make. But I will publish it. <laughs> there should be a red letter Old Testament. And I'm going to do it for the Lord. Because people need to know these are the words of God. Will we, how many times did God have to speak before we believe it and before we obey it? How many times did God have to say something before we become obedient to his own words? Now, people will say, people will try to say, this is not a Christmas tree. And some people say because... Uh, that it was an oak because they have read some words, especially the internet, where they used to worship the oak tree. And that's true that there were cults and witches and Satanists that was worshiping the oak tree. But that is to uh, turn a blind eye to the other articles, the other references, the other encyclopedia articles, and the other facts of history, that they were also worshiping the evergreen tree. And we have more record, more documentation, and more proof that they were worshiping the evergreen trees than what we have that they were worshiping the oaks. So just to say that they were worshiping the oaks is to turn a blind eye to an overwhelming evidence-proof documentation that they were worshiping the evergreen tree even more. And it's the evergreen tree that they brought inside. It is the evergreen tree that the Assyrians brought in. Amen. The Assyrians were doing this. The Babylonians did the same. I bet you Nebuchadnezzar loved Christmas, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God. Just so strong in me right now that Nebuchadnezzar loved Christmas. It was a great passion to him. I never read that before, never heard that before. But the Holy Ghost is in me right now saying Nebuchadnezzar loved Christmas. 
the Iranians did. And the current leader of Iran, he knows who the Mahdi is, Assad. They're going to do Christmas. Assad himself does Christmas. The Roman Catholic Church does Christmas. Why should we follow the Roman Catholic Church? Amen. We should not be doing these things. So what is the reason for the season? How did Christmas originate? I'm not denying the birth of Jesus Christ by far. I'm not denying the birth of Jesus Christ. But the fact is, you can go to any library, Greenville, Morristown, Newark, Texas, Wisconsin, you can go to any library and find that Christmas already existed before Jesus was born. They didn't call it Christmas, but they used the tree, they decorated it, they put lights on it, they put lights around their house, they gave gifts, they had a festival, they had a feast, and it was on that exact day of December 25th, as well as days before and days after it, and Assyria had the 12 days of Christmas. They had the 12 days of Christmas in the Assyrian Empire. And it was not, not to worship the true God, but it was to worship Asher, Tammuz, Nimrod, uh, Apollo, all the different names that throughout time, through the different customs, through the different kingdoms, that they changed the names of the gods. And at one time they called him Tammuz, and another time they called him Apollo, and another time, you know, all the different names for the false gods throughout history. But every one of these empires observed December 25th as the birthday of their god. Every one of them. So then people would ask and people would claim, well, if every one of these kept December 25th as the birthday of their god, how come we shouldn't do the same? And the Bible gives you the answer to that. I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to let the Bible give you the answer to that. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Verse 29. Deuteronomy 12. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Fifth book of the Bible. And it's always been the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy uh, has always maintained its position in the scriptures. Chapter 12, verse 
chapter 12, verse 29. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Verse 29 says, When the Lord your God, that word Lord, all capitals, that means it was J-E-H originally. When the J-E-H or the G, you would pronounce it as Jesus, you would pronounce G, your God. That's not the same as the letter G. It's J-E. And your God cuts off before you the nations which you are going in to dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell in their land. In other words, when you go in as the nation of Israel against the Canaanites, when you go in against the Hettites and the Predazites and all these Gentile nations, and when you go in against the Native American Indians, and when you go in against the British, and when you go in against the nations, when I send you as your king, Jesus Christ, against another nation, and you go in and dwell in their land, verse 30, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods that I also may do likewise? You're not supposed to do that. So the question was, if all these nations and empires and time periods throughout human history has always kept December 25th and the day, 12 days of Christmas as the birthday of their God, what's wrong with us doing the same thing? According to the scripture, that's not me, according to the scripture, as we invade, ain't we the mountain of Jesus? Aren't we the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is in us? Aren't we the disciples of Jesus? When we invade these nations, we are not opposed to come and say, how did you do your worship and do the same? We're not supposed to follow. We're not supposed to go along with the music. We're not supposed to go along with the crowd. We're supposed to come out from among them, be a peculiar people, strange people. Amen. Praise God. Verse 31. You shall not behave thus for the J-E-H, your God, for every abominable act which the J-U-A hates. That's how I know Jesus hates it. It says right here, he hates it. Jesus hates it. There's only one God. We don't serve three gods. There's only one God. He's Jesus. This is G-E, hate. Jesus hates abominations and false worship. He hates they have done for their gods. Let me start in 31 again. 31, you should not behave thus, we're disobedient children. You should not behave thus toward the J-E-H, your God. For every abundable act which the J-E-A hates, they have done. These same actions they have done for their gods, for they have burnt their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. We are burning our children when we teach our children to give gifts to the old Christmas tree and to do the facilities of this golden image and the idols and the silver and the gold and the star on top and the stars representing a fallen star and that angel on top not making any graven image of anything in heaven it's a fallen angel both the star and the angel on top both 
represent and the stars around it. And you know what that apple and those globes represent? And it represents two different things. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. But originally, the whole tree represented the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember in the garden? Yeah. Year 32 here, it goes along with Revelation. To me, that's what I'm getting. Wow. Well, you're coming along with, uh, thou shalt not take up the right of two, my word. Yeah. Don't add two or take away. Excellent point, James. Excellent point, praise God. Thank you for sharing that. But that tree is a knowledge of good and evil. And didn't God say, of all the trees in the garden you can eat, all of these, but not of that one tree, of knowledge and good and evil. And it had a fruit, right? And they took of that fruit. Now they've taken that one tree that we're not supposed to have and they brought it into their house with that fruit of those balls, which later on in the time of uh, the Tower of Babel, Nimrod, and uh, Asher, uh, it came to represent a man's testicles. I mean, that's just history. It shows you that in history. You can go to the library and find it out. It became a sexual symbol. Because that tree of knowledge and good and evil, the people started worshiping the sun and the stars and the moon and the uh, constellations, and they started worshiping uh, fertility, sex. It became a sexual symbol of the male anatomy, the whole tree. You can find that out. It's history. So the devil mixes sex because sex combines your soul. He brought sex into the picture. And the, the greenery was a symbol for fertility and the evergreen tree is a symbol for fertility because all the other trees died. All the other trees, the leaves fall off, but this evergreen tree is still alive for people's life wow, that tree is still alive even in the midst of the winter, even the freezing temperatures and snow and ice. That tree is still alive. It must be reincarnated. It must be God. It must be God. And it became a symbol uh, for December 25th where the winter searches the first day of winter around December 21st, 22nd, 25th. So that's why it became 12 days of Christmas. Because the first day of winter could be fall on different days. But December 25th was still a central day. So it became a symbol for fertility. And even the Easter rabbit, rabbit being a symbol for fertility that they multiply. And the greenery uh, associated with the Christmas rabbit. And even the rabbit, if you look in history, you can even find the rabbit was a symbol of Christmas even at one time. Even today, I noticed, uh, not today, today, but several months ago or last year, I noticed in Christmas decorations, I noticed a rabbit. You cannot separate Queen Easter, who was a Syrian god, from, from Christmas. It's all the same thing. It's spring soldiers and winter soldiers. The winter soldiers and spring soldiers is worship of the consolations. Christmas is witchcraft. 
Christmas is a worship of the constellations and the stars. That's why Jeremiah 10 says, don't be dismayed at the signs of heaven. And then it talks about the Christmas tree. Because the Christmas tree is a symbol of surviving the winter, of the winter solstice. Having a Christmas tree in your house is the same thing as having a horoscope in your house. No difference. Let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Verse 23, John 4, John chapter 4, verse Verse 23 says, but the hour is coming. <clears throat> Amen. And now is. Now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And you got a lot of people, especially in this region, the mountains of East Tennessee, where they're all about worshiping in the Spirit, all about it, what they think is worshiping in the Spirit, but then there's no truth. It's all jumping up and down, shouting, having a good time, dancing, singing. But where is the Word of God? Where is reading an entire scripture? Where is studying? Where is finding the facts? Where is examining? Where is proving the truth? Where is that in all that? And then you've got the opposite of where those are only interested in truth but they have no spirit. And that's the Hebrew roots churches, a lot of them. They're only interested in facts but they're not interested in, in the Holy Spirit, a lot of them. Then you've got like 
what they call the Living Church of God, the Philadelphia Church of God, the, uh, the International Church of God, those that came out of the Worldwide Church of God, where they're all about facts but not about the Spirit, and they don't even allow you to speak in tongues. They don't even allow you uh, to prophesy. Or they don't even allow you to sing a song if you bring if you bring your own song. Only certain people can sing. Only those that were planned ahead of time can sing. There's no spirit. But God doesn't want it to where there's only facts and no spirit. And God don't want it to where there's only spirit and no truth. He wants both. Both spirit and truth that go along with one another. And if it's real truth, it's only through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And if it's the real Holy Spirit, you're going to have only the real truth. They go hand in hand. We need both at the same time. In verse 23, John 4, 23, but our is coming and it is here. It is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks. He's looking for it. He's trying to find people who will do this to be his worshipers. God is a spirit. He's not gold. He's not silver. He's not a graven image. He's spirit. And those who worship him must, must, not maybe, not advice, command, must worship him in spirit and truth. That means if December 25th is a lie, then God does not accept it. We can say that we are worshiping Jesus. We can say it's his birthday. We can say that we're keeping it for his birthday. We can try to grace it away, mercy it away, new covenant away, say we're doing it to the Lord. Tomorrow's a feast to the Lord. We can use all those excuses. But on judgment day, there will be no excuse. For God will not accept a lie. And if we are going to worship him, it's got to be in the truth. It must be in the truth. It must not be Babylon. It must not be Assyria. It must not be the same holiday that the Antichrist, the son of perdition, will command. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I will give you that prophecy that Assad will command the worship of Christmas, even as Nebuchadnezzar commanded the worship of the golden image. And the Pope will command it. And how can we say that it's the birthday of Jesus when the fact is completely opposite? We know that Christmas existed under a different name before Jesus was born. It's time to get rid of the excuse. Excuse me, Sure. I don't mean to change subjects or nothing, but you know how you was preaching a minute ago or teaching about... Uh, the internet and all that. I've uh, I've heard it called uh, a via line wonder. Devil travels our ways. Have you ever heard it called that? No, uh, brother Jack. That's uh, what he called it. A via line wonder. Uh, that's his the way into our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yeah. Evil. 
Yeah, it is evil. The internet is evil. That's what he called it, was the VLR one. Wow. Yeah, that's a good one for it. It is a way to reach the kids, because the kids are the the ones that... Pedophiles. Yeah, pedophiles and everything else. The children and the wicked people, Hollywood, everything. And it's used in the right way like you're doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. God can turn the evil around. Right. Right. Exactly. Just like the brothers of Joseph meant evil, but God used it for good. So God can use wicked things. It doesn't mean just because I'm using the internet to broadcast the truth and teach the truth to write about the truth doesn't mean that it is good. It just means that God can use anything. God can use it. We can use it. Turn evil over to good. Yeah, but now with Christmas, we can't do that. We cannot turn a Ouija board into a form of worship for God. That's witchcraft. If we if we can take a Ouija board and turn it into a way of worshiping Jesus, then we can do the same thing with the Christmas tree and Christmas gifts and Christmas feasts. It's the same thing. There's no difference between a Ouija board and Christmas. We can't transform Christmas. If the root of the tree is evil, then so is the fruit of the tree. Now, if we do not repent of Christmas observance, we will not make it to heaven. We will not make it to heaven. It don't matter if we gave all of our money to the gospel, we fed the poor, clothed the naked, did good, it don't matter. We never murdered, we never lied, we never stolen. It don't matter. It don't matter if you got baptized, kept the Sabbath. It don't matter if you went to church every Saturday or every Sunday. If you don't repent of Christmas and completely come out of it 100%, stop accepting gifts, stop giving gifts, stop decorating for it, Stop eating with your family on Christmas Day. If you don't stop this, you will not make it to heaven. I say that in the name of Jesus. And if I'm wrong, may the lightning of God strike me right now. I'm not fearful of saying that because I know what I say is the truth. We cannot worship Assyrian, pagan, demonic, satanic holidays and still make it to heaven or into the kingdom of God. It's impossible. We cannot grace it away or excuse it away. And if any minister or any pastor does not stand up this weekend and speak against Christmas, then he is not a man of God. Plain, simple, and period. This is the last weekend before Christmas. This is his last chance. Neville Ezra gave them a last chance. Well, I'm going to give them a last chance. This is the last weekend before Christmas. If a pastor of a church don't stand up today and say at least one word, one sentence against the pagan worship of Christmas, he is not of God, he's not a man of God, and that leader of the sheep, the blind leading the blind, he will not go to heaven until he repents. I say that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Did you know that even the atheist keeps Christmas? Our sister Melissa in Pennsylvania, her husband is an atheist. He keeps Christmas. You don't have to believe in Jesus to keep Christmas. 
Satanists, witches, they keep Christmas. There is a satanic store in downtown Morristown that sells the satanic Bible, and everything in the store is witchcraft and Satan stuff. That's the only thing they sell. And they put a Christmas tree up every Christmas, and it's their, their best time of year for the sales of all the satanic Bibles and the satanic equipment and the Ouija boards that they sell there. And everything that they sell there, it sells more at Christmas than any other time of the year. And people go in there for Christmas, and they keep Christmas, and they're Satan worshipers and uh, witches. You know why they keep Christmas? Because they know it's their day. They know it. They know it's their holiday. They love it. The whatever his name was, Anton Levy, something like that, that wrote the Satanic Bible. Yeah, the main one of the Satanists, he wrote the Satanic Bible. He kept Christmas. He even said on record that Christmas is a Satanic holiday. He's the one that, uh, that Marilyn Manson, yeah. the one that him in or made him. The- right. So, I mean, if the leader of the Satanists, the one that wrote the Satanic Bible, how how, how come Christ, Christians think that they can do the same thing that he did? We have to come out and be different from the world. Just because everybody else is doing it don't mean we should do it. Amen. So I'm asking you, that on December the 25th, to fast. We need to be fasting. And if there's ever a time to fast and not be defiled with the king's meat, it is now. That Christmas food is defilement. It is worship of the Assyrian Antichrist, the president of Syria. And people will... People will see the president of Syria manifested as the son of perdition. Whether we believe it or not believe it, it's going to happen. I say it in the name of Jesus. Exactly. So we need to fast on December 25th. Now, if you want to fast a day before and a day after, in addition to that, that's between you and God. But I'm asking that you at least join us at least in fasting on that one day, December 25th. And I'm asking you to do that from sunrise to sunrise, from December 25th to the 26th. Now, if you want to do Christmas Eve, that's up to you. This will help us, especially those people, and I'm in contact with several people that is going to abstain for Christmas this year for the first time, several. And this will help those people especially, and all of us, to make for sure that we're not defiled with the king of Babylon, his meat on that day. That somebody says, come here or come there, that we won't make an excuse. We know we're fasting, we don't go. We're abstaining. Somebody gives you a gift. It don't matter if it's in your own terms. You don't take it, even the day before, even the week before. For the rest of this month, I don't care if it's $100 and you need it. 
I don't care if it's a thousand dollars and you gotta pay your rent. Somebody gives you a Christmas present from this day forth to the rest of the month and even into the next month because they were trying to sneak it and say, well, it's not for Christmas, but it is. Even into January, all January, you know whether it's for Christmas or not. Use discernment. If somebody gives you a gift and it's not really for Christmas, go ahead and take it. Use discernment. You know it's for Christmas, regardless of the day or the week or the month. You know it's for Christmas, turn it down. And don't let people trick you to go for food on a different day. Christmas is Christmas. It's 12 days of Christmas. It don't matter if it's not on the 25th. we got to put our foot down. Coming of the Lord is near. The great tribulation is near. And we got to stop compromising. We've got to stop making excuses. Okay, I'll open the floor up for more questions and statements. Anybody got anything to say or ask? Um, We're going to be needing more clothes and more food to distribute to the people that's going to be coming in here. I put on Facebook that we're going to be whooping January 4th, even though actually we're already whooping, but I put like a, a date of January 4th to give us some more time to work with different things that we're dealing with. And uh, we really ain't got hardly any clothes. We hardly ain't really got hardly any food for these people. And I feel like on the 4th itself, on that day, we're going to be packed. That's what I believe. And the woman that had that owns a thrift store in another county had promised, what, two or three weeks ago, whenever it was, had promised to bring us a truckload of clothes. And she's never fulfilled her promise. I don't believe that she will. Uh, and I know that God brought her uh, to my attention. She on the very day that I signed a contract to this new ministry building, on that very day, she contacted me first. And I didn't even ask. That's a miracle, and that was of God. I know God led her to me. I know that God put in her mind and in her heart to donate those clothes. And I'm not preaching against her, but I'm saying this for your edification. People think, that if God is behind something, God will make a way. And that is true to an extent. But he doesn't make manna fall out of the sky anymore. He uses us. We are the body of Christ. We are his instruments. And the way he works now is he puts it into our hearts and minds, even into the lost, into their hearts and minds to do certain things for his glory. But When he does that, then it's up to the individual to obey, to obey or not to obey. And just because she has not kept her vow, just because she has not kept her promise, just because she has not kept her word, doesn't mean that God didn't send her. 
Doesn't mean it wasn't a miracle. Doesn't mean that God's not behind this. Doesn't mean that God is not making a way. He made a way. She said two times that she's coming. God moved. God performed a miracle. God performed this ministry. But people are rebellious. People don't follow through. It's not God's fault. It's not a lack of God's blessings. It's not a lack of God's provision. It's not a lack of God moving. It's rebellious people. So we can say God make a way and say, well, he didn't make a way. It wasn't a miracle. God didn't do it after all. Or it wasn't his will. It was his will. Because God put it in her mind, her heart. I didn't even call her, write her, look for her. She, God brought her to me. But humans, humans become disobedient. In the name of Jesus, we conclude this uh, sermon. And I do ask that if anybody has any green beans at home, they don't eat, or turnip greens, or any kind of yucky stuff, or sauerkraut, or beans that have been in a cupboard for uh, 14 years with uh, dust on it. Uh, bring all of your stuff here, and you got clothes that are too big or too little, or you got clothes that you've not wore in uh, two or three years, and you want them, and you want them, and you want them, and you want them, but you've not worn them. Bring them here, because there are going to be people. I don't want to turn nobody away. Amen. People come in here. Let's be praying that every person that walks in this door, every person without exception, they don't leave empty-handed. We want to provide a ministry to the people, but not only food and clothes, but manna from heaven, which is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the bread of life. And as they come in here for the physical food and clothes, that we can show them our love, our cure, our compassion. We have all kinds of flyers and CDs laid out there in the front room for people to take, uh, different flyers and different subjects, and you can take them too, and you can make copies of them, or I can print you out as many copies as you want. All Everything in that front room is free. All the clothes is free. All the food is free. They don't even have to bring out. They don't even need ID. They don't even have to fill out paperwork. We don't want to require anything. We're not even going to ask them how much they make. No questions, no paperwork, no ID. People are in need, fulfill that need. Don't bog them down with paperwork and red tape. We appreciate your prayers for this ministry. We're also still broadcasting on the radio in Detroit and in Cincinnati. We broadcast uh, up there. And uh, we're on the Internet with this broadcast as well every Saturday, the Sabbath day. And we'll be fasting on December 25th. We ask you to join us for fasting. Uh, we will not gather on that day. No way. We're not going to be partaking in pagan customs and traditions. We'll gather every Sabbath day, and we will gather every holy day that's listed in the Bible, and no more and no less. All of this in the name of Jesus, so be it. Amen. We'll turn the Internet off. And if anybody else has anything to say and do, we'll do that. As well, we all gather together for food and fellowship.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.